Welcome to Psyched for Business, helping business leaders understand and apply cutting-edge business psychology principles in the workplace. Hi, and welcome to Psyched for Business. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Richard Anderson. In this episode, I'm joined by Jackie Wade. Jackie is founder at Florissimo, and she's a positive psychology coaching practitioner. In this episode, we talk all about the topic of positive psychology what it is, and how you can apply it in business and life to get the most from your life and your work. I hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks again for listening. So Jackie Wade, thank you very much for your time. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Richard. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks so much joining all the way from France, which I understand you've had a nice time there for the last four months. And it's great that we can do this, isn't it? Yeah, the power of Zoom, honestly, one of the benefits of COVID, isn't it? That we can work anywhere in the world and find our energies anywhere and and still have these kind of conversations. Of course it is. Yeah, it's a really, really nice thing. And it's funny because, Jackie, you and I, and I don't know if you know this, but we've been connected on LinkedIn for some time. And I'm probably talking the thick end of 10 years, if not more. And I'll tell you where the connection initially came. I attended one of your sales training workshops through Winning Sales. I think... 2010, 2011, something like that. And I still remember, you'll not remember me because I was just a, I was an attendee, but I do remember the course and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it, one of the big things I remember doing that supported me in my career in sales. But anyway, there you go. That's where the, the, the background. That's um, the connection. Yeah. God, you're yeah, bringing me back, Richard, to those days. <laughs> probably the Chamber of Commerce, was it? It was exactly, it was the Chamber of Commerce. It was my first job, Guru. I remember it well, thoroughly enjoyed it. But there you go. But you've, you've Jackie, taken a very interesting change of career or or along those lines, but you've gone very deep in the area of positive psychology. And I'm really interested to get into why that maybe came about and, and what it was that got you interested in psychology after such a long career in, in just maybe working in sales, for example. Let's call it change or transition. Yeah, I suppose for the audience, clarifying that for 20 years, I was involved in sales, sales training. I had a very international global career in business development. You'll probably tell from the accent, I'm Irish. So I kind of left Ireland, emigrated, lived in Germany. And most of my corporate career was very much in sales and business development and and working internationally for organizations. And then when my kids came along, which there's three, I think that was probably now looking back, that was kind of my first big transition where I recognized that who I was as a person didn't sit well with corporate life and the ability at the time to be a mom and to work in international business development, etc. There was a real dilemma for me around what that felt like, what that looked like. So I set up my own business to take some control of my career. And I've been really doing that for the last, gosh, you met me 10 years ago. So for about the last 20 years, that was wonderful. But towards the back end of it, and it's not the back end, because I'm still, I'm still running winning sales. I still do training, but coming at it from a slightly different angle. Towards the back end of it, something started to not feel quite right for me. I think with my positive psychology hat on now, it was again this clash of values. It was a sense of working with organizations and being in situations where I just felt there was this conflict between potentially what boards wanted, what management wanted, and then the people I was working with. And over a number of years, I just found myself falling out of love with what I was doing. And I guess, you know, it's also good to change. You know, I was doing that for a big period of my life. I'm in midlife, you know, and I I think trying to think about the next phase of my life 
there's a positive psychology term that I've come across, which is middle essence, which I love, which is almost like adolescence. But in middle life, it's about what's the next phase and what does that look like and who do we want to be now that we're grown up? So for me, that all came together and it coincided a little bit with COVID. I was kind of on that journey anyway, and then COVID came along and a lot of stuff stopped for me. And it gave me the opportunity to look around and think, right, what do I really, really love and what interests me? And people, that's what interests me. I I love people. I love working with people. I love exploring what makes people tick, what makes people not tick. And so you could call that psychology, you know, the psychology of the human being. And it was just an area that interested me. So I kind of started looking around and I came across positive psychology and hadn't a clue what that was. Started looking at it, dabbling in it. I did a course with Berkeley University in California called The Science of Happiness. Again, I was a bit, oh my God, is there a science to happiness? This was all new stuff for me. But the fact that there is a science behind happy, why are some people happy? Why are some people not? What's the science? I found that absolutely fascinating. And when I'd finished that, I thought, right, I want more of this because I could just see so much unhappiness. You know, I think the world we're in, there's so much unhappiness, there's so much anxiety, depression. That's often all we hear about, isn't it? And what I love about the term positive psychology, and I know that we're going to get into the detail of it, but it's nice to hear something talked about with the word positive, isn't it? Because when it comes to emotions and feelings, we're being told about negativity or, or we're experiencing negativity and kind of flipping that on its head and thinking, well, well, there is a positive way to look at things. It's, it's nice, novel, but it's nice. Yeah, I think it's more than nice. I, I think it's a necessity. It feels to me at the moment we're in this real challenging period in, in life where we are being bombarded by cataclysmic events. Going back to Brexit and COVID and Ukraine and now everything that's going on with the politics in the UK. Um, it's hard to get through a day, I think, for many people without feeling absolutely overwhelmed. And so... For me, positive psychology is all about how can we flourish in challenging times. So it's not, you know, sometimes I think positive psychology gets a bad name for happy clappy, Pollyanna, let's all be happy and let's park the negative. But actually it's it's embracing the dark side. It's understanding that life is full of tough stuff. You know, it really is. And, and that's life. But how can we as human beings develop the skills to cope and to be resilient and to stay well and to flourish? So so I kind of feel with positive psychology at current time, it's probably for many people enough to just focus on staying well and preserving our well-being. And obviously my passion initially is around human flourishing and how can we actually thrive? And ultimately that's what I want to do through my business. But if you like, positive psychology is almost helping people not become unwell because normal psychology, if you want to a better word, or your regular psychology is often fixing people who are broken, whereas positive psychology, the focus is, I guess, helping people not get broken in the first place. If, if I was to put it in a very, I'm sure there's lots of positive psychologists that wouldn't like that definition, but it's kind of, you know, in layman's terms, it's how do we stay well and preserve our well-being and look after ourselves, particularly in the current climate. So so for me, it's not a nice to have. It's an absolute essential way of living and being that I practice every day. 
No, absolutely. And it's, I really like this term that I have to say, I've, and I said this on a previous podcast with a lady called Amanda McNamee when we were talking about mental fitness. But mental fitness as a term is something that I, I wasn't particularly au fait with. I feel like I am a little bit more now, but kind of working on your mental fitness as if it were your physical fitness, being equipped to deal with challenging times. And you talk about recent events, the war that's on, you know, you've had COVID and challenging times will come up and it's about how best to deal with that. I mean, you mentioned right at the beginning, Jackie, about it was almost COVID that, that kind of set you in this particular direction. And maybe, you know, the way that you thought about COVID there, you thought, well, actually, I know this is a challenging time, but it's put me on the route that I want to go down. And that's maybe thinking positively and thinking about the plus side of what's what's happening and maybe using it to, to your advantage or to better yourself. And I bet there's a lot of people out there that have also used those challenging times, I mean, maybe through positive psychology or certainly through positive thought to say, well, actually, yeah, we are in a, a very, very challenging time. Some people are dealing with this terribly badly, but let's think, are there any positives here and can I apply them to, to my life? I mean, I used a COVID to lose a hell of a lot of weight. I maybe put a, probably a bit too much back on, but I, I lost a hell of a lot at the time and I started running and exercising and those sorts of things. So I do think mindset's a huge, huge thing and being positive is massive, isn't it? I think for me, the word that's really important is choice. I am conscious of using this carefully because we're both white, middle-class, privileged, whatever that terminology that's handed around, you know, and I know some of us have more choice than others, but I think knowing that all of us somewhere have a choice around our some of our emotional fitness and choosing, you know, where we focus our energy and whether it's, you know, just take the simplest of things. I, I worked in an environment for several years where big open plan office, you know, about 40 people in that open plan office. And it felt frowned upon to take lunch. You know, people used dash to the kitchen grab a meal, get back to their desk, get back on the laptop. That was before positive psychology days. And it's not rocket science, but for me, taking a half an hour to go outside and it still might have been a Greg's, it might have been the healthiest of food, <laughs> but, but it was grab something and then sit in the park or go yeah. for a walk or focus on something that energizes and then to come back to your desk. And I think just taking that little, you know, that's a choice that, you know, when we're talking about working people, the choice to sit at your, you know, to get up and to work for 12 hours and stretch and, and just to be zapped at the end and then to come home and be cross with your partner, your kids, your dog, your cat, because of course, why wouldn't you be? So recognizing that we have some really simple choices in life. And as you say, practicing emotional fitness or agility, it's going to the gym and, and going to the mental gym can be something that you do before you go to work. It can be those 10 minutes, you know, the walk in the park. It can be in the evening, sitting outside, you know, in whether you have a garden, whether you have a balcony, whether you have nothing, but just stopping and thinking, I'm alive. You know, so it doesn't have to be huge, big things that take tons of time. But because you've probably come across this, Richard, but like negative stuff is it's almost like weights. Negative is three times, at least three times more heavy. You know, this research, Sonia Lubomirsky is famous for the three to one ratio, which some people have disputed. But regardless of whether it's exactly three to one or four to one or two to one, negative stuff, it's like Velcro, it sticks. And when we have something negative going on, we ruminate and we get stuck in that pattern and it pulls us down. So to get out of that, it's hard to just say stop. 
what we have to do is replace it with something that's beautiful or joyous. I fully agree. And I think that negativity almost breeds negativity and rumination breeds rumination. It, it, it becomes habitual. I fully agree with what you're saying, Jackie. There's, there's almost no excuse to not get out for, and I think it was Joe Rogan or someone, another podcast I was listening to, a slightly more famous podcaster than myself. But um, so there's, you know, there's no excuse to not do 45 minutes exercise, whether that's just getting out in the fresh air and, and walking or, or and, and that's a choice thing. But I mean, how much of this do you think boils down to maybe a lack of awareness for people, awareness that mental fitness is a thing and it doesn't just happen overnight or by accident. You need to work on this. I, I feel that we're still probably probably still need to educate people that this is an important thing. Yeah, and I, I think people prioritizing it. I think a lot of people know it's important, but I think unfortunately it's only when something goes wrong. It's like everything, you know, often we don't look at our diets until we're being told that we've got high cholesterol or we're, you know, it's all of these things, you know, we don't reduce our wine intake until we're, uh, you know, all of these things. Unfortunately, as human beings, we often need that crisis moment to have that wake up call. But there's so much going on at the moment around well-being. And, and I think for me, the word well-being, it's worth stopping and reflecting on what that word means because I think it's bandied about a lot and I think organizations are playing lip service a lot of them and you know putting well-being in their to-do list or you know acknowledging that it's important but what is it exactly and if we stop and think well-being it's being well and I think particularly in business Richie and you know this you know we're we're doers you know we're involved in human doing not human being you mentioned about the entrepreneurial side of things when we first met. As entrepreneurs and as business founders and as running, a, you know, we're focused on doing and striving and achieving. And this kind of habitual need to be on this, what's called hedonic treadmill, you know, constantly wanting more and achieving more and growing more. That's a part of who we are as human beings. But actually the being side has been left behind. How do we be? How can we sit still and calm with ourselves and, or how can we be walk and just appreciate nature or, you know, that whole side of what being means. I, I think for a lot of people, that's quite uncomfortable. It's quite uncomfortable to slow down or to stop. And, you know, those big, maybe for some people too big existential questions. And I don't even mean to, you know, I don't want to go off down that path, but it's that stopping and being with your family or being with your partner. I don't know how you know how much of this aligns to things like meditation and mindfulness, but I know that that's always about focusing on being and being in the present moment and appreciating where you are and what you're doing without constantly having your mind go at a million miles an hour thinking about whatever the next thing is. And we've all been in commutes to work or whatever where you can hardly remember the journey because you've been a million miles away and thought and what what you know what's my next meeting gonna you know what's gonna happen in the next meeting what's my next business project or whatever it might be and. When we talk about being, is it that sort of thing, Jackie? Would it be meditation or, or would it just be sitting, being present with yourself or going for a walk and being mindful, this is where I am and I don't have to think about anything or chew about anything. It's just, let's just enjoy the moment. Yeah, definitely, Richard. Things like mindfulness and meditation, yoga. You know, when you talk about positive psychology, there's a broad range of what we call interventions. And, you know, some of them, they're not necessarily positive psychology interventions, but they're all things that are focused on allowing people to get comfortable with 
being with themselves. And as long as we're not, you know, when we're not comfortable with being with ourselves, being in the moment, we're uncomfortable. If we're not present today and being comfortable with who we're being, we're either anxious about what's coming tomorrow or later on in the day or next week, or we're ruminating on what was yesterday. So most of us spend our time either in the past or in the future. And so the past is gone and, and you know, ruminating or being depressed about or regretting, it's gone. And then the future hasn't happened yet. So, you know, being anxious and as human beings, of course, I do the same. You know, I, I can't stop myself thinking about I wish I hadn't. But it's I think it's the self-awareness and catching yourself and being able to say, I'm human. I'm sat here talking to you. I, I have the exact same issues that everyone who's listening has. And, you know, I didn't sleep great. I'm that middle-aged woman going through all the great things we go through. And I didn't have a great night's sleep because I've had a conversation before I went to bed that upset me a little bit. And so I struggled, but I was able to then stop and think, right, what's going on here? And actually meditate and, and meditate, not in any great, you know, I've been to the Hindu Himalayas or wherever and, and sat with the gurus. It's, it's literally just sitting and breathing and finding a calm within me that stops me from ruminating about the call I've had half an hour ago. It's upset me and stops me getting angry about, you know, all of that stuff. So the being is learning the habits that allow us to stay in the moment and, and, manage the discomfort because discomfort happens and we're going to have more of it so we will have death in our lives we'll have divorce we'll have redundancy we'll have bankruptcy that's part of life so i think for me positive psychology and positive psychology interventions are around helping people giving people tools to allow them to navigate the challenges that are going to happen and I think for me, that was a big light bulb moment because I think I thought positive psychology was going to help me be happy all the time. And instead, what it's doing is allowing me, it's resilience, it's being able to go through something difficult, but probably stay in that period for less time and bounce back quicker. Instead of sitting with it, you know, a thing that might have upset me for a day or a week or, and then I'd be angry with some, you know, it's allowing me to kind of still go through the emotion. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be afraid. You know, positive psychology isn't saying we shouldn't have those negative emotions. Negative emotions are powerful. They're human. They're important. But it's what we do with them and whether that we allow them to take us over and pull us down or whether we have a way of finding some positive emotions to counterbalance them. So you've got the negative ones that are dark and heavy. So you need to kind of find some positive ones to counterbalance that, if you like. It makes total sense. And it, it really works, this sort of thing. Now, I've, I've had examples in, in my life where you find, you know, you, you find yourself ruminating on, on something, whether it, it might be at work, a difficult conversation, something that you, you, you have to do that's completely out of your comfort zone. And it's catching yourself ruminating and thinking, well, they, these aren't helpful thoughts let's think something more positive i think you hit the nail on the head before jackie in, in my experience when i've come across this sort of thing before it's about building the habit isn't it because it's it's great to be pardon the pun but mindful of things like doing meditation and being present in the moment but i mean i'll, I'll give you an example so i downloaded headspace app a few years ago and, and when i very first started evolve when it was just me, as you can well imagine, I don't know you've done this before, but when you start a business and it's just you by yourself and there's a hell of a lot of pressure on and it was quite a stressful time and I was constantly thinking, well, what if, what if, what if? I think one of the things that I did was download Headspace, used it for a bit and got a lot of enjoyment from it. But then for whatever reason, I got out of 
the habit of using it. But one thing that interests me a lot when it comes to, we talk about positive and negative emotions. Why is it, do you think that negative emotions seem to automatically become habitual, whereas positive emotions, I feel like you have to work on the habit all the time. I, I don't know whether that's something just to do with, the, you know, your defense mechanism or subconscious mind or something, but it'd be a lot easier if it was the other way around, wouldn't it? I think so much of it is, you know, and I don't want to go back into the, you know, we, most of us have heard of this fight flight. And so within, within our nature, instinctively, these emotions are there to protect us. You know, we were born the Stone Age caveman analogy that we always talk about with that it's you know this idea that we needed either fight flight freeze we needed you know that the, the, the dinosaurs were coming at us as the lions tigers and bears and we needed to be able to get that cortisol going fight them off that was survival but i think what's happening now is we don't have the lions and tigers and bears although it kind of feels like that sometimes but we still feel these you know we we, we have these moments of stress and then we stay, you know, that cortisol stays in our bodies and we stay ruminating on stuff and we don't release it. And, you know, this is where we then end up with health issues around, you know, heart attacks, you know, weight gain, pains, aches, because we're sat with these, I suppose, what was meant to be short-term emotions that would create, even if you think of anger, it's okay to be angry because that will allow us to have that burst of energy that will allow us to fight a cause but if we're angry every day with every person, then, you know, we've got road rage, we've got really serious situations where people feel it's okay to kill each other or to cut each other up. So it's anger staying around because, you know, we're not able to let it go. So that's why we do need to practice the, the positive stuff um, because it's not coming as naturally. It's the kind of brain almost working a, a, against us. We've evolved past the point where we need that uber protected well we're always going to need it but but we need it for very different reasons now than than we did at one time that's for sure you talked before about values and your values maybe not aligning to was it other people's or, or, or the direction that you were going in i'd be really keen again to the topic of values because i do find it interesting so where does kind of values tie into all of this that's such a big question richard but let me try and give my version of it I think our values is who, who we are. And so again, we use the word often authentic self, or I often quote from Shakespeare to, to thine own self be true. We have values within us that some we are born with, you know, some that we inherit. If we look at, there's an online tool that people can look at called values in action, biaassessment.com. That looks at, you know, talks about values and virtues and strengths. Those words can get, you know, combine. But I think if your value, if, if you have a core value around, one of my big values is love. Uh, you know, I was surprised when I did that, that my number, I think it came out and I went, well, is love a value? I thought it was a bit, nah, that's not a value. That's just who I am. And, and that's exactly it. So, so for me, to feel loved and to love is a huge part of who I am. And so for me, if I find myself in situations where, and I use the word love in a broad context, but if I find myself in situations where I feel people are not being treated well or not being loved by their boss, you know, and I, again, I use that in a very liberal way, but that feels wrong to me. And no amount of kind of going, well, profit and we need to focus on, I still think there's a human and kind and loving way for us to deal with other human beings. And, and so, I find it really important for me to be in environments where that's respected. My second value is gratitude. So again, for me, me being grateful and expressing gratitude is a very important thing for me. 
but I also need that back because it's all it's it's this kind of how do we work how do we not work well and and so for me I see that in the workplace my dissertation is on mattering and the reason I'm doing it on mattering is there's huge evidence around you know people in the workplace feeling like they don't matter they're not valued they're not seen they're not heard and so we have things like the great resignation or now we're talking about the silent resignation and some of that comes back to and I've seen it time and time again the minions or the the normal everyday people in the workforce not feeling that what they do is appreciated or seen or heard and people at higher levels in management or even within their team actually being able to say thank you i value you i appreciate you in my business rather than particularly in sales environments you know it's a very throwaway culture it's very much you know two three years targets continuously rising wanting more and more and more and people probably listening who are in sales will recognize it if they're in sales person if they're managing sales well that's the nature of it but you know this never ceasing kind of need to stretch people beyond looking for that last pound of flesh and so therefore for me those values around love around gratitude are huge for me and so when i'm in an environment where i can't express those or i don't feel it's present i really struggle and start floundering so again that comes back to positive psychology and if we're working in environments as business owners or as as employees if we're in environments where our values are being crushed or we can't express our values or when it's not aligned with our values we end up floundering and and we end up getting sick doing less having days off not feeling committed so understanding the people in our business and understanding their values and their strengths and recognizing them and being able to play to them you know and that's in relationships as well it's a huge part of why relationships go wrong because people don't feel seen they don't feel heard they don't feel understood and people in relationships often have very different values and there can be a values clash so it's important in relationships to talk about you know perhaps you know we don't do the marriage counseling until the marriage is breaking up but we should be looking at it before we even get into the relationships are our values aligned do we have an alignment in our values that will allow us to have a relationship that there's harmony i don't know if that answers your it does answer it answers it really well the reason i'm interested in values is because we do a lot of discussions around the whole topic of values and how that aligns with company culture and how you develop a company culture and i think the reason that i'm interested in this topic is because I know what my values are. And funnily enough, I did the VIA strengths assessment. I'd encourage anybody who's listening to this to do it because it's a really interesting exercise. But we haven't officially documented the values here at, at Evolve, but it's something I'm really keen to do. But you mentioned it before, whether it's in relationships or, or across the business, it's important to find out what other people's values are. And I'm really keen to do this across the team. So it can't just be, okay, well, what is Richard Anderson's values? And therefore everybody needs to adhere to these and they need to automatically become your values because that's not how it works. But it's so important to get the, I suppose, the founding team or the first few members of the team all bought into the values, subscribing to them completely. And and essentially that's going to underpin your culture moving forward, isn't it? And and staying true to it. I think more than just buying into the values, it's it's co-creating the mindset. Yeah, absolutely. I think what happens, and I've seen this time and time again, where organizations, you know, they bring in an agency, an external agency, and a bit like the brand exercise as well, those two things just infuriate me, where I'm not, nothing against people hiring external agencies to do either of the above, but it, it becomes an exercise that 
comes from the top down. It comes, it's external and then it works with the leadership team or the management team. And a lot of the time it is presented to the rest of the people. And, and then you're looking for buy-in. Culture is how we do business. How do we do business here, particularly in a founding organization in those first few months, years? You know, how do we want to do business here? And then how do we hire in people that sit with those values? So we co-create and collaborate around what that looks like. And then, you know, we grow and expand to reflect those cultures. And, and I think certainly working in foundership, in founders with for several years, I think that's one of the challenges. How do founders keep, you know, most of the time when somebody sets up their business, it's with a real desire to make a difference and to make something better, you know, whether that's a product, whether it's a service. You decide to set up your own business because you see something is broken that you want to fix or you want to make it better. And particularly young people, you know, they have this passion around. I worked for a long time at Newcastle Uni with young founders and, and they want to put things right. And then people get involved externally, you know, they're looking for funding and then they've got to do this pitch. And then they've, and, and so many founders, in my view, end up going off track and being forced to kind of veer down a path that they never really intended, but to kind of get funding or finance or whatever that is. And, and they lose, they lose the values, they lose sight of the values and, and their original purpose in setting their business up. And then the passion might end up waning or, you know, the dynamic completely changes and yeah. Yeah. And then they find, you know, and sometimes it's five years later, sometimes it's 20 years later. You know, there's a lot of research around that kind of midlife phase where people, you know, think, oh my God, what have I created? What is this business about? In the meantime, I've lost my marriage. I've lost my kids. I don't connect with, I haven't got friends because I've been so focused on building this monster and feeding this monster and actually looking around and going, oh, crikey, what have I created. I'm not saying that happens to everyone. I'm sure with lots of people, they're thrilled because they've got, you know, achieved huge big things. But I, I, and so I'm not saying this applies across the board, but I think it's really important in business to be clear on your why. And, and to me, going back to the question you asked about your values, your values to me are your, what, you know, why am I doing this? What are my values around this? And how can I, almost like reviewing your business plan on an annual basis or whatever, it's reviewing and looking at your core values and your why and has that changed and are you moving away from that? Are you moving towards it? And whose advice you seek? And, you know, people are always happy to give you advice, but does that align with who you are and what you want? Because one thing's for absolute sure, if that changes, you're going to find out about it at some stage, aren't you? And you're, you're probably going to have a little bit of negativity when it comes to, to thinking about, well, what have I done? How's this changed? Why has the dynamic changed? It's a very, very interesting topic. So just while we're on the subject, Jackie, of founders, because I know that you do a lot of work with founders, when you look at positive psychology, how does positive psychology connect with founders or how can it be used with founders? Yeah, great question, Richard. And, and if I'm being really honest, I'm, I'm working on that right now. I'm, I'm developing, I'm talking to a few different universities and I'm looking at developing a program for founders to really focus on their, I'm going to call it psychological capital. And I think that's the word really, because so much of founders' focus is on the business and business capital, you know, cash flow, raising capital. We kind of have started to talk a little bit more about human capital and recognizing that on the balance sheet and social capital, how we network and how we build our social network. But I think the psychological capital 
is really interesting for founders. So psychological capital in, in positive psychology, we talk about the HERO model and H-E-R-O and, and HERO stands for, the H is for hope. The E is for efficacy or self-efficacy, the ability to steer your own ship. R is for resilience and, and O is optimism. So psychological capital really looks at those areas as founders, but I would go a step further and, and not even a step further, I'd go a step backward and say, it kind of encompasses the things that we have talked about already. For me, well-being and, and the founder prioritizing their well-being and prioritizing you know, we've all seen it and we've all done it. And, you know, that kind of 12 hours, 15 hours nonstop. And, and, and we live in a culture where that's embraced. And there are definitely times when that's required. You know, we're giving a pitch or we're up against some deadline and we need to head down and work through the night, et cetera. But that's not sustainable. And, and we burn out and we create a culture within our business that's not sustainable. We have people in our teams that come in, often young people that are afraid to say, actually, this doesn't work for me. And, and they're looking at the founders and thinking, really, do I have to live like that? And, you know, I know a number of founders that really struggle with their mental health and, you know, their stress levels. And so, so I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier, remembering that you are the single most important thing in your organization and minding you is your biggest job and responsibility and doing that. And, and partly that's going to the physical gym. You know, usually founders are quite good at the kind of tough stuff. Usually they'll pound the pavements and run, et cetera. So or go to the gym or, you know, do these big things, but actually taking time out to relax. And what's interesting, there's a model in, in positive psychology that's called the broaden and build theory. And it looks at the upward spiral and the downward spiral. And without getting into it, there's tons of research that tells us if we sit still and calm, and go into a place of positive emotion, so a place of awe, or gratitude, or you know, whatever that calm space is, we are much more creative. Creativity thrives when we give ourselves space for it to thrive. And I think sometimes because founders are in a perpetual, agentic, forward you know, pace, it's sometimes quite hard to kind of sit back and actually take stock and be reflective and be creative and find alternative solutions. So, so I think for founders, recognizing the importance of their well-being and recognizing what that might look like for them, how they find time for their own well-being, how they find time for their, you know, their team in the early stages, values, what are their values, what is their why, why did they set that up, why did they go down this path in the first place and making sure that they don't get diverted by people who may have their best interests in heart or may not have their best interests. You know, the, the interests of VC and founder is not always aligned. So again, my advice is be careful who you get into bed with, you know, and, and is there a values alignment there? Because sometimes young, inexperienced founders chase the cash and are very grateful for wherever they can get that from. So again, you end up with a misalignment. So well-being, looking after that, finding the time to prioritize that values, your why, and then potentially the, the, the hero or, you know, looking at all of those elements, particularly self-efficacy, this, this, you know, taking control of what's going on and, and resilience, looking at how we stay resilient and how it's a tough, tough, tough gig running your own business. So you need to find, you know, resilience is something that we say founders or, you know, people, entrepreneurs are naturally resilient people. Are they naturally resilient? 
Some are, but some have to work at it. And, and I think, again, looking at different tools within positive psychology to help build resilience is a big part of what I do when I'm coaching founders. I mean, I love this stuff. And I have to say, I would have been a brilliant candidate for it. For, I mean, I probably still still would be. But, but five years ago, I remember you talked right at the beginning, this almost, I guess, need for, among some entrepreneurs. And I guess I was maybe one of them when I started the business that I had to work 12-hour days every day. You know, I couldn't lift my head up. Would be at the detriment of the business if I did. And whether it was at the detriment of the business or whether I just thought that that was the right thing to do as a founder, I'm not sure yet. But there's, there's, there's certain actions that I took, and that was one of them that I really regret now because it would have been infinitely better if I just worked a normal kind of eight hour day and then taken more time for myself. I mean, when, when I started the business, I think my son was like three months, my firstborn. And I really regret not going out for more walks with him and taking advantage of my wife's maternity leave and, and things like that because I was starting the business and it and really yeah of course the business it managed to survive and you know get past those times but I don't, I don't think I think it was in spite of that not certainly not because of working the extra hours so I, I love this this positive psychology stuff I have to say there will be lots of people that will think very differently and I, I think it depends on your goals you know I think if you are trying to grow a Scale a business quickly if your goals are to make a shed load of money, build a business, sell it, all of that stuff. So it depends on your goals. But I think sometimes as business startups, et cetera, we focus on those big, ambitious scaling businesses. But actually, the reality is there are a lot of people, particularly post-COVID, who are choosing to set up a business. And they're not setting out to set up a huge, high-scale, high-growth business. They're setting out to be independent, maybe to just be by themselves. And lots of people would dish that and say, I remember being told, well, you're not really an entrepreneur because you don't have any team. And maybe I didn't, but I worked with tons of other businesses. My objective was to help others grow. And I deliberately didn't want a big team. I didn't want to hire loads of people. For me, I'd set my business up to give me work-life balance. So I could, you know, I left corporate life so I could work with my, you know, be spend more time with my kids. So why would I give that up to run a huge business and take me away from it? So all I'm saying is I'm not dishing across the board. I'm, I'm saying be clear why you're doing what you're doing. I think it's awareness, Jackie. That's the, that's the key thing. It's being aware of, of these things. That, you, that There are different ways of doing this. And a uh, term that I've heard this week a few times is all about uh, life-work balance. I think that's why I put you know, this, this post-COVID stuff. But it is really, really interesting stuff. Jackie, I can't believe the time. We've, we've, we've done around 40 minutes there or thereabouts, which I've thoroughly enjoyed. I want just to, to, to kind of wrap up by giving you the opportunity to talk a little bit about Florissa Moore and how you, how you support or how you can support your clients and also how people can reach you if they want to get in touch. Yeah, well, no big pitch. I think people have heard, who've listened to the podcast will get a sense of who I am and what's important to me. When I set up my business, this new business, I, I called it Florissimo, F-L-O-U-R-I-S-S-I-M-O. And that's made up of the two words, flourish Anissimo, which is Italian for to be at our most flourishing. So my, my passion and everything I do is about helping people to flourish. And I, I do that in a number of ways. But, you know, really it's about coaching and working with people to help them explore where they're at and where they want to get to. It's going into organizations and understanding how can I support a flourishing, thriving culture and organization. So it's working with business owners. It's working with leadership team to explore what does flourishing look like for our business and how can we potentially embed some of the tools of positive psychology across the business so we create a business where, you know, going back to what I said about my dissertation, where people matter, 
you know, what people feel they matter. And, and as well, we as business owners feel we matter, not just to our business, but to our families and to society, and, you know, to communities. So, so I, I love, you know, for me, I've kind of developed a, a model around mattering, which is going into organizations and helping to explore how does a business owner make a difference and matter? How do they look after themselves so that they say, I matter? How do they look after the people in their team so that the team feels they matter? And how do they sustain their relationships with their children and their family so that they feel they matter? And that, and that sounds like a big ask, but there are ways, once again, coming back to your point, once we're self-aware, we can work on that. So that's my passion. It's a work in progress. You know, this is, you know, my journey is I'm on this journey and I'm evolving. For me, everything I'm doing right now is organic. It comes from a space of hearing and understanding what's happening in our planet, in our my human space and my community, particularly in the Northeast, and how can I make a difference? And I'm open. I'm open to working out who I work with, how I work with those people. And, and you know, my purpose and passion going forward is to make a difference and to help in this space of flourishing and wellness. Yeah, it's to make a difference and to be a light. You know, I feel there's so much darkness, so, so much darkness out there. If I can bring some light into an individual or an organization's being, then that's what I'm about. Love the work you're doing, Jack. You're incredibly passionate about it, and, and that certainly comes across. And I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the discussion. Really appreciate you making the time and looking forward to catching up there. Thanks for the opportunity, Richard, and, and good luck with the podcast. Thanks for listening to Psych for Business. For show notes, resources, and more, visit evolveassess.com.